Hi, and welcome to the West Visalia Audio Podcast. Each message is designed to help you grow and inspire you to take action. Please take a moment to hit the subscribe button, and don't be shy to drop us a message if you have a question. Thanks for listening, and God bless. The message of that song, that idea that it's by Jesus' wounds on the cross that he's paid our ransom is a message that, that all need to hear. It's a message that we could do a better job articulating. It's a message that we could do a better job living out. Because all people need to know Jesus. All people need to experience the love that is found in knowing him. But with this idea of loving all people, this idea of letting all people know Jesus, this idea of letting all people be connected to Jesus is so important. It's so valuable. It's so needed because so many people in our world today feel like they're not accepted by God, feel like they're not loved by God. And truthfully, a lot of times we do a bad job in letting people know that it doesn't matter necessarily your background or what sins you are caught up in. There is an opportunity for all people to have forgiveness in Jesus Christ, for all people to have redemption, for all people to have hope. Scripture is full of example after example of people when they got to know Jesus when they learned to love God and serve him, that their lives changed and they were able to have that eternal life. You think about someone like Paul, who killed Christians and yet became one of the authors of most of the New Testament. You think about Moses, you think about David. These are guys that did bad things and we don't think about them because of the bad things that they've done. We, though, as Christians, I think, can do a much better job in getting that message out there into the world and telling people, hey, you know what? God loves you, and I love you too. But the reality is a lot of us have trouble loving different groups of people. There's different, I mean, we could probably make lists of different groups of people that maybe we as individuals or even collectively have a harder time loving for some reason than someone else. And you'll see this happen. Just just the reaction that you feel in your your heart when you see an, an image or a headline lets you know whether or not you struggle to love certain groups of people. You turn on social media, you see images like that. Does that have a feeling in your, in your heart a little bit? Maybe you, you turn on the news and, and you see something like this going on in another part of the world. What, what feelings do you have inside of you when you see images of people that maybe are engaged in violence or people that are engaged in hate and prejudice, people that are, are, are caught up in drugs or, or homelessness or those that are looting and rioting and, and causing destruction? How do you view them? How do you feel? How do you talk about? How do you think of them in your mind? Because here's the truth. It is hard, and I know we don't want to admit it, but that question on the screen, is it hard to love all people? It is. It is. It is hard to love all people. I know that I myself struggle with this. I struggle with the idea of when I see somebody not always looking at them lovingly, sometimes I sadly look at people with contempt. I do. I'm sinning when I do that. When I drive down Highway 198 and I see um, people living um, like lives of drug use and and homelessness there, sometimes I catch myself looking not at them with pity but with contempt and, and anger. I can't be like that. When I turn on social media and I see people um, taking, you know, the symbol of the rainbow and using it in other different ways and in lifestyles that I don't think scripture supports, but I, I got to be careful to not view them with, with hate and contempt, but instead compassion 
and love and a desire to teach the truth. When I see people that are, that are bigoted and racist and, and then you see videos online of, of Nazis getting punched, you're like, ah, I got them. I can't be like that, right? I mean, I can't be that kind of person that, that wants violence to happen. But yet we as Christians, we struggle with this. We struggle to love like Jesus loved. We do. All of us have different groups of people, in our, maybe in our own family, even though we have a hard time loving. Christians often struggle to love like Jesus, and I think all of us can probably think of times where we've witnessed Christians acting in an unloving way. Well, what'd you do about it? Let's be proactive about it. When we see Christians acting in a way that is unloving, do we do anything? Or do we ignore it? Did we just push it away, blow it off, act like it's not that big of a deal? Did someone ever confront us when we were acting in an unloving way? The Bible makes it very clear that we're supposed to be merciful, loving people. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, For judgment is without mercy on the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God expects his children, those who profess a faith in Jesus Christ, those who have their own sins that have been taken away by Jesus and are still struggling to overcome different things in their life, those people that have received mercy from God, that's us, should show that same amount of mercy to other people because if we don't, if we don't show mercy toward others, how in the world do we expect God to show mercy toward us? So this morning what I want us to see is this, and our sermon's going to kind of have two points. It is, first off, Christianity is about showing love and concern for all people. That's what Christianity is all about. And if we do not show mercy toward all, God will not show mercy toward us. This is a universal biblical principle you'll see throughout Scripture. And what I want to do then is prove it to you this morning from the book of James. Like I said, throughout the um, month of June, we're taking a break from our study of the book of Acts. We're going into the book of James. We're looking at lessons from the brother of Jesus. That's who James was. And he wrote this book to Christians. And this is actually one of the earliest, you know, Christian writings we have to Christians struggling with some different issues and trials and things. And there's some great, practical, godly-inspired advice in this book that we can learn from. And also, this helps us out as we get ready for Bible camp in July, our lessons are also going to be coming for James, so it gets us going down that road. Well, last week we talked about that trials are going to happen. The Christian life is not always going to be easy, but we can watch how we respond. And then this week, I want us to see that real religion is really loving. Religion gets a bad rap. I know it does. But real religion is supposed to be really loving. Let's look at the text this morning. James chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 26. So in this section here, after talking about that we need to be people that have wisdom during trials and know God's word during temptation, he then lays this out there in verse 26. And I don't know if you can see that on the screen, but it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, this person's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion and the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So he says, all right, let's talk about religion. And me and Nick were actually talking about this a while back that it seems to be that he's almost using this word in a negative sense, like, oh, I'm religious. He goes, no, let's talk about true religion. True religion 
Real religion is supposed to be really loving. It's not a source of oppression. It's not a source of violence. It's not a source of greed. It's not a source of corruption or manipulation or any of that, although a lot of people do that in the name of religion. Real religion is supposed to be this right here. And this right here, no one disagrees with. If everybody did this, people would be like, all right, religion, I like it. Because look what it says. First off, bridle your tongue. Well, that makes sense. Watch your mouth, right? I mean, Christians should be people. <laughs> Religious people should make sure they don't say stuff that hurts people. Don't speak falsely. Don't be crass and crude and inappropriate. We got that. We understand that. We might still struggle with that, but we know what we need to do. Then he says, and um, this man deceives his own heart and his man's religion is worthless if you don't have that under control. Then, verse 27, pure and undefiled religion. So you want to take religion and see it in its purest sense because a lot of people do bad things in the name of religion. What we see out there in the world is a corrupted view of religion. Sometimes what we see in our own church is a false view of religion. Okay, He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Number one, visit orphans and widows in their distress. Does anybody got a problem with that? No. Right? I mean, really. And that word visit carries with it the idea of meeting a need, by the way. It's not just, hey, how's it going, widow and orphan? Glad to see you. I visited you today. It's more than that. It's about taking care of. That right there, if religious people could do that, we take care of those that are widowed, especially in that culture back then. You know, you have a woman without a husband, they not a lot of opportunities for employment. They need to be taken care of. And orphans, you know, people, people died at early ages. Orphans were a common thing. If we can't take care of those kinds of people, we're... we're messing up religion altogether. So number one, real religion, pure and undefiled religion is take care of those that have needs. No one in the world would have a problem with religion if that's what we did. Right? I mean, really, they would. I mean, of course, there's some extremists that would, but you understand what I'm saying. That right there, no one's gonna have a problem with. That is good. Taking care of those in need. Then he says, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. By not giving in to worldly desires, not going down the path of ungodliness, we look out there in the society and we see a lot of things that are wrong being celebrated. We see a lot of lifestyles being you know, promoted, which the Bible condemns. We see a lot of attitudes that are false, that people think are good. We see a lot of ways of treating one another that the Bible says is wrong. That's not what we're supposed to do. So we keep ourselves unstained by the world. Why? Because real religion is like that. Real religion is really loving. With that as the background then, as a thesis statement, James then goes into a real-world illustration. And this illustration could happen in any place and any time. Let's see what he says. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our glorious Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. What's that? That's the opposite of being loving. You know, that's biases, that's prejudices, that is, you know, wanting to prefer one person over another or groups of people over another. He says, don't be like that. So he says, brethren, we're going to talk about real religion now. He says, do not be prejudiced. Do not have partiality. Do not have an attitude of personal favoritism. And he goes, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, let me give you an example. So look what James does. Let's read. James 2, verse 2. And this is a real world practical example that they probably dealt with. And in some sense, we can deal with a similar situation even today. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes. So 
He takes a church service. Now, I know the way we do our church services are different than the way they would have done them back then, maybe more intimate home gatherings, that kind of thing. But nevertheless, the scene happens is this. Someone comes in to the gathering of Christians, like coming to church, and, and they come in, and one person comes in, and they're dressed in a way that causes us to look at them with admiration in some way. And obviously, in different cultures, that's different. Here he mentions a, a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. It might be a someone with, you know, fancy shoes today. By the way, Preachers and Sneakers Instagram page is pretty funny. They talk about the, the fancy sneakers that preachers wear. You'll be glad to know that your preacher does not own any sneakers that cost a lot of money. I don't own any of the Yeezys or anything else like that that cost a lot of money. But anyway, so you got this poor man that comes, or you got a man that comes into the assembly, and he has the fancy Nikes. He's got the, the Louis Vuitton bag and all that kind of stuff. So, see, I don't even know what's cool, okay? Um, he comes in the assembly. And they pay attention to him. Could happen, right? Someone walks in and they look the way we want people to look. They talk the way we want people to talk. They dress the way we want people to dress. They make us feel good about ourselves. They make us feel safe. They make us feel comfortable. So they come in the church. And what do we do? Verse 3. Here's his illustration. And you pay special attention. Hmm, special attention. That sounds like personal favoritism. That sounds like what he condemned in verse 1. But you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in the good place. So a man comes in and he's dressed in a way that we like. There's something about this person that makes us want to celebrate them, like them, compliment them. We like being around them. Maybe they look like us. They come from the part of society that we wish we were a part of. Whatever it is, they don't do anything to challenge us. We say, come here sit in this good place. Come over here. You know, maybe you're sitting around a table. Come sit at the head of the table. Come sit by me and my family. But we also read about here a man comes in, a poor man in dirty clothes. So here's a person who doesn't look like everybody else. Here's a person who uh, somebody might look at as having a bad motive. Oh, he's probably just here because he wants money. Or here's a person who, well, they look like a distraction by their appearance. Or here's a person that, that dresses in a way or is acting in a way that makes you feel uncomfortable. And that could be anything, right? I mean, we could have people that come into our assembly and they're different from us. Maybe they're a different race. They have a different uh, place in society. They come from a different background. They struggle with a different sin. They come from a different religious background. By their clothing, you can tell with whatever group of people they align with. Whatever it is, they come in and we pay special attention to one and we neglect the other. We're glad that one is there. The other people, we make sure the security guard is watching, right? That kind of thing. Okay, we got to watch that kind of stuff. He says, have you not, verse 4, made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? See, your motives aren't pure. Your motives are what makes you comfortable. Your motives are what make you happy, what fits your certain standards. You become a judge with an evil motive because you made distinctions among you. God is showing mercy toward all people, and you're over here saying, ooh, God, help this person. This person, we're hoping they go away. This isn't the place for them. They make us uncomfortable. And we do this too even with sins, by the way. I mean, you, you get somebody coming into church building, a, a homosexual couple versus a heterosexual couple, they both might be living in sin, but yet we... Treat one with preference over another. We make distinctions. Someone who struggles with an addiction to 
heroin over here versus someone who struggles with an addiction to pornography? Do we treat them differently? Someone who is very greedy versus someone who struggles with lying. You understand, we, we do this. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? We do not want to do that. We don't want to be a judge with an evil motive. We talked about this in Bible class this morning. The worst thing that you can have is a judge with an evil motive. That's why Jesus is the ultimate judge because he loves all people and is completely fair and just in his judgment. But a judge with an evil motive can make other people's lives horrible. We do that. We can make other people's lives horrible when we make distinctions, when we show partiality. We go on. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in, <clears throat> rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who have loved him? He says, but you have dishonored the poor man. He goes, look, the way you're acting doesn't even make sense. He goes, God, a lot of times, takes care of the poor. It's the poor people that end up following Jesus. It's the rich people that are taking you to court and ripping you off all the time, and yet you're still kissing up to them and neglecting the poor people. He goes, that doesn't even make sense. And, by the way, you are dishonoring the poor man. Well, wait a second. If you are dishonoring them, that means they deserve honor. So the poor man and the rich man deserve that equal honor. The, the Democrat and the Republican require the same honor. The person who struggles with this sin versus the struggle who struggles, the person who struggles with that sin deserves that kind of respect and honor. I'm not saying it's a, a celebration of sin or anything like that. No, but we need to be loving toward all. He says, you have dishonored the poor man. And again, he tells him, it doesn't even make sense. Why are you doing that? But Christians do that. Sometimes we really want to please the wrong people. We're so caught up into getting accepted in one area of life that we neglect where we really should be focused. He says, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? I've seen this happen in churches before too. Maybe we don't try to impress the rich people versus poor people, but I've seen before where churches get so caught up in trying to impress other churches. We want them to, we don't want them to think bad about us. Who cares? Sometimes they're the ones that bash us. We're gonna serve Jesus, right? He says, you've dishonored the poor man. Don't act like you're trying to impress certain people. Just be fair and just and loving toward all. Then he goes on. He says, if, however, verse 8, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. He leads into this discussion now from this illustration with probably the biggest point of his entire book. And it's this, that we can make or break our Christianity with this one point. Now think about it. People ask me all the time about um, where should they go worship? What do you know about this church over here? Um, I mean, all this kinds of stuff. And we, we judge everything very superficially a lot of times. We judge everything. Well, is their worship make me comfortable? Do, is their sermons going to be something that doesn't offend me or things like that? But according to this passage right here, we can have all sorts of things right, and if we mess up in this one area right here, it makes or breaks our entire relationship with God. And he quotes a passage, of course, from the Old Testament we're familiar with. Jesus called it the second greatest command in the law. He says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice what he calls it there. He calls it the royal law. Okay, high above all things, right? Royal law. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, if you show prejudice, bigotry, any personal favoritism, preference toward another person over another, if you show partiality, you are committing sin. Sin, that's bad, right? And are convicted by the law as a transgressor. He can't be any more direct. This is how important this is. You know, sometimes we're like, oh, that's a good church here, and it's the most unloving church you've ever been to. They aren't good. They are not. The one that always gets me is people talk about, do you know of a sound church in this place? What does that mean? Does that mean, better mean loving their neighbor? Because you can have the most dialed in, perfect book, chapter, verse worship, and if you are bigoted toward other people, if you show partiality, if you act unloving in any way, he says you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. And you're going, oh, no, Cliff, it can't be that important. Yes, it is, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law, you do everything right, and you stumble in one point, and the one point he's talking about is that point. That's the one point. It's not like, well, you messed up over here, therefore you're, no. It's you've stumbled in this point, that one point. You have become guilty of all. That's scary, by the way, because I know Cliff Sabro as a Christian, struggles with this one point. I struggle showing love toward all people. Sometimes I look down my nose at people. Sometimes I like to think I'm better than other people. Sometimes I'm prideful. Sometimes I lack humility. And sometimes I show preference toward one group, one people, difference, whatever it is, over another. And according to the brother of Jesus right here, if I stumble in this one point, I become guilty of all. So all those sins that I would never, ever want to commit, right? I don't murder, I don't steal, I don't fall into this, this trap or this sin. doesn't matter. If I'm not loving my neighbor, I'm guilty of all of that as a church too. But we have, we have good, solid Bible classes. We, we worship in spirit and truth. We have qualified elders. Stumble on this one point. That's a heavy thought. That one sin causes us to be a transgressor of the entire law. That's why he calls it the royal law. That's why he emphasizes this. And then as we go on, look in verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. We know that, right? Adultery is wrong. You should not be sleeping with someone that's not your spouse. We get that. We know that. Thou shalt not murder. We pretty much universally understand that that is a command, right? And we, verse um, 11, now if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you become a transgressor of the law. We get that. Okay, I'm still a bad guy. If I, Well, I didn't murder, but I did commit adultery. No, it's all bad. And then he goes on, verse 12. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. I believe in context of James, by the way, that the law of liberty is the same as the royal law. It is the same as the perfect law. And that law in the book of James is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This, our entire Christian existence hinges on this law right here. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how we live as somebody who's going to be judged by that law. So when I get angry at someone who's caught up in a sin different than a sin that I'm caught up in, 
and I look down at them with contempt and, and arrogance or hatred, I'm violating this law. When I, you know, get angry in a way that's sinful and, and, and prejudiced or show preference toward certain people over another, I'm guilty of violating this command. And this one command, like we said, can make or break our Christianity. Why? Verse 13. For judgment is without mercy on the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So then we look out there in the world. We look around us. We look in our own lives. We look in our own households. We, we just observe and we see people caught up into all sorts of different things. And we, we view them sometimes with contempt, with anger, with disgust, with hatred. That's not what I see us doing here in the book of James. Yes, it is hard to love all people. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be hard to love all people. Yeah, but, but what about the person who's, who's, who's celebrating this, this Pride Month idea and is in a same-sex relationship and all of that? It shouldn't be hard to love them because they are made in the image of God. They have a God who loves them. They have Jesus who died on the cross for them, and they need salvation just like anyone else. Yeah, but what about those people in the other countries that are spitting on the American flag in the name of their false religion and are saying death to the infidels? They need to learn about Jesus and experience his love too. Yeah, but what about people in gangs that are doing violence in my neighborhood and doing all that? They need to learn about Jesus and learn about his love and feel compassion too. What about hateful, bigoted, racist members of the KKK and things like that? They need to learn about Jesus and about love? What about those who would loot and riot and tear down stores and hurt people? They need the love of Jesus. Yes, it is hard to love all people, but it shouldn't be because all people are created by God. All people are loved by God and all people are made in God's image and therefore all people need the forgiveness of sins that is available in Christ Jesus. If God sent Jesus to die for all people. Which, by the way, the verse that every Christian is supposed to know, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, right? Everyone in it, that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus, right? If God sent Jesus to die for all people, the least that we can do is live for others. Because what I see here in the book of James is that real religion, which that's what we want to practice, not a false religion, not a hypocritical religion, not a fake religion, but real religion is really loving. And we see that love manifested by us going out there in the world and loving our neighbor as ourself. Let's renew that attitude this year. Let's renew that attitude daily in our life. Let's renew that love for others because that's the love that God has for other people. The lesson is yours this morning. In just a moment, Curtis is gonna come to the mic and lead us in another song. After services, if you need the prayers of this church, you need to get plugged into a Bible study. You wanna become a Christian, talk to one of us and we'll help you out in any way that we can. But right now, let's all stand together and let's sing. Thanks again for listening to West Visalia Audio. We hope these messages have helped you grow and inspired you to take action. Be sure to check in each week for more on-the-go content or visit our YouTube channel to watch the live video. Thanks for participating and God bless. Thank you.